Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they have been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Todd, come on up. Let me pray for you as you come up. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd be speaking through Todd this morning, that you'd be uh, illuminating your word for us. May you be, he be speaking your words. Energize him after his uh, long flight. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everyone. There's a customary Texas greeting that goes something like this. Howdy, y'all. Um, I am not actually from Texas, but I feel like it's my obligation to tell you those things being from there now. So my name is Todd Engstrom. I serve as one of our pastors at the Austin Stone, and I uh, also serve as a shepherding elder in our congregation. More importantly than that, I'm a father to five children, Micah, Hudson, Emmeline, Owen, and Lucy, who send their greetings to you guys from Texas. Uh, y'all, I should say, not you guys. I'm also a husband to Olivia, my wife of nearly 15 years, and so she says hello from FaceTime as well. She's pleased in some sense that I'm able to minister the Word of God to you this morning, but even more important than that, I'm a disciple of Jesus who lives on mission in my own neighborhood called Wells Branch. So they don't say hi because many of them, um, they're not really certain what I'm doing right now. But I'm going to apologize a little bit in advance if I'm kind of loopy. Uh, I got off the plane this morning at about 7.15. I slept for, I don't know, somewhere about three or four hours while I was on the plane. And so if I pass out or if I start spouting something, Chris, maybe just come tackle me and make sure that I'm not doing anything that would damage uh, your congregation. But I'm very pleased to be with you this morning. And from what I hear, you guys have been in the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, is what Pete spoke about last week. And he hit on a very brief topic, uh, namely faith, and how faith in some sense is connected to obedience. And as I was praying for you and preparing to come and minister the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11 just came to mind for me that I wanted to address not just briefly the topic of faith, but address in depth faith. What is it? And more specifically, what does faith mean for us? Faith is mentioned several times throughout the book of Romans. In 1.5, he says, bringing about the obedience of faith among all the nations. You guys talked about that. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, clearly, it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. And so faith has an operative role in our salvation. Faith is a gift of God. It is a gift of God, but it is also a response of God's people. And today we're going to see how faith changes us. This kind of biblical faith is critical for the lives that God is calling us to lead, whether that's in a missional community or a part of this church or a part of God's movement around the globe. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you guys are readers, I'd love for you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11 or pull it out on your device. Hebrews is a few pages to the right of uh, Romans, which you guys have been studying, or find it on the search bar on your device, which I can't help you find because there's too many of them in the room. So before we dive in, here's the first question. Here's the first question. If I were to say, what do you think of home? What would be your response? When I say the word, what is home? To you, 
what would be the first thing that comes to mind? And curiously, I was on the plane with a woman named Lucy while we were coming here, and we were talking about her sense of home. She is from London. She's from the UK. She lived in New York City, and now she's resided here in Melbourne for one year. And I asked her, what's your sense of Melbourne? And she said this very poignant statement. Melbourne is a very expensive storage unit where I see my husband. That's her sense of Melbourne. She's not from here. She's from many different places, and she has all of these attachments. And it was so fun to talk to her and understand, what's your concept of home? And her concept was so rooted in her parents who had lived in her childhood home for 45 years in the UK. And Melbourne is just a pale comparison to what she conceives of home. Almost everybody has, in some sense, a response to this idea of home. For some of you, it may be fond memories of youth. For other of you, it might be a particular place in the world, and maybe it's not even here. Some of you, it may actually bring up some very painful memories because we have rough and just difficult experiences. Um, For me, the idea of home is a challenging one. I've lived in the state of Texas now for 14 years. I have the occasional Texan slang that comes out. I have the word y'all, which is a very convenient word. I have five native Texan children who pledge allegiance to the United States, but also to the state of Texas. It's a crazy thing. They make them pledge allegiance to their state. Don't understand it. Our family has this strong sense of community in Wells Branch. We have many dear friends from all over the world, but also from Austin, Texas. And so Austin in our neighborhood really has become, in some sense, home for us now. But for me, it really isn't home. You see, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And I recently traveled back there this past fall, and I got to experience my home in all of its glory. You guys are familiar with fall because you're experiencing it right now, but fall in the Northwest is a glorious time because the apples in the orchard are being harvested. And so I remember actually working at my cousin's apple orchard and selling apples throughout the fall to make some kind of living as a high school student. I remember looking as I got off the plane and seeing these giant, just ginormous pine trees and recollecting back of having to clean up pine needles and pine cones in our backyard, which are very sharp and very painful as you're a child. So it brought back some painful memories for me. And last, I just remember this overcast, and it just brought to mind, oh man, winter is coming. Winter is coming, and winter for me is the season that I look forward to most because I was a competitive ski racer growing up. And so I cannot wait for the snow to fall and put two sticks on my feet and go flying down a mountain at 80 miles an hour. It just makes me my heart leap and I thrill for the idea of skiing. And so going back to Spokane in the fall brought about all of these memories of home. And while we were there staying in my parents' childhood home, which they just sold in January, I remember all of the experiences of childhood. I remember my brother just beating the tar out of me as a little kid. He was two and a half years older and he was bigger than me and I always tried to fight him. I remember the smells from my mom's kitchen and all of the things that she used to cook us, especially the bad things. Tuna casserole is disgusting. Please don't feed that to your children. But I remember that smell still from my mother's kitchen. And all of these experiences come rushing back when we think about home. And for everyone, you have this concept of home, but it's always tied to two things. One is a people. There's always people involved in your sense of home. And two, It's a place. There's a location somewhere in space and time that you think of when you go to home. And Hebrews 11 teaches us specifically how people of faith think about home. 
To get to Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews spends the first 10 chapters talking about how Jesus is the truer and better everything. So Hebrews 11 is a unique turn in this book where he's going to start talking about not just how Jesus is truer and better, but how we as people of God are supposed to respond. And Hebrews 11 is this amazing text called the Hall of Faith. It's a bunch of heroes of the faith, specifically in the Old Testament. And we're going to learn today specifically how people of faith think about home. You see, Hebrews 11 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things seen. But this passage talks about what faith looks like and smells like and feels like for the people of God. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to talk about the three things we're going to learn today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. That's all of these heroes of the faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There's a lot to consider in this particular passage, but there's really three things that we're going to consider today. First, faith gives us an identity in this present moment. When you believe by faith, you gain a new identity. Second, faith gives us a distinct understanding of our past. And third, faith gives us a longing for a new home in the future. So let's dive into the first point. Faith gives us a new identity here and now. 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received what they had promised. You see, the people that the author of Hebrews is referencing didn't actually get what God had promised them. It's specifically talking about Abraham and Sarah. How many of you remember Abraham and Sarah from the Old Testament? The whole first part of the book is about particularly Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would make him into a nation of people. And you know what they got? They got one son. They got one son whose name was Isaac. And that one son, God even put to the test and said, Abraham, I want you to consider sacrificing this son to me to show me how much faith you actually have. And so Abraham longed to have a starry host of people and God gave him one single son. And Sarah, even though she was barren, just longed to see this happen, but she had one Son, and they only got to see the smallest glimpse of God fulfill his promise. How is it that, in a sense, people of faith can respond to God's glorious promises and see only a glimpse? Well, the text actually answers it for us that those who have died in faith have acknowledged what? They were. The word were is an identity statement. The word were means I am something. They were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, Abraham and Sarah were unique because though God didn't fully complete their promise, they still trusted by faith that one day he would make a great nation through them. And so it is with us that we, by faith, don't experience the fullness of the promises of God, but we have the identity 
as strangers and exiles here in this place. The people of God know definitely that one day God's going to wipe away every tear. Whatever brokenness you're experiencing, one day coming, God will wipe away every tear, but it is not now. God promises things, and yet by faith, we wait. God tells us something is going to happen, and yet we're still anticipating the day. You see, faith is trusting in the future promises of God while embracing that they may not be fulfilled yet. That makes us really weird. That makes us a really strange people by faith. That makes us very different than your neighbors here in Inner West because we believe something to be true, though we do not see it and fully experience it yet. No matter where you are, if you are in Christ, the world should feel strange to you because by faith, God has made you different. By faith, you now believe that the best is not here. The best is yet to come. And like I mentioned to illustrate this point, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and I sojourn now in Texas. And even though I've adopted the word y'all and I really, really love barbecue and Tex-Mex, I'm constantly reminded that I'm not from Texas, especially in the summer. Now, I know Australia has pretty warm weather, but Texas is a unique kind of heat. I often say there's four seasons in Texas. There's hot, there's hotter than hot, there's hotter than the surface of the sun, and winter. That's what you experience when you go to Texas. And remember, I came from this place that has beautiful falls, these winters full of snow, and I'm forced to endure this miserable triple-digit heat with like 75% humidity all the time. You get heat rash just from walking outside. It's a crazy place. I'm reminded every single summer as I bear in misery this triple-digit weather that I am not from there. One of my friends is from the deep south in Mississippi, and he loves the heat. And I still think that Greg is a crazy person because he loves the heat so much. And so it is with the people of faith in this world. We live in a world and we're constantly reminded that we're not from around here because we have a new identity. You see, faith gives us the identity as strangers and exiles. But so often we forget that we're really made for another place. God has given us an identity, but so often we're looking in the wrong direction. People of faith get confused very easily because we so often look backwards. We so often look the wrong direction. And that's what we learn in verse 14. For people who speak thus, that is those who by faith are exiles, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If you have faith and you are a stranger in exile, then you're seeking a homeland. This Greek word could be translated, actually, seeking the place of your fathers. That's the word. That's what it means, that you are seeking a homeland, the place of your fathers. That's where you belong, but they don't find it where they expect, because we find out in verse 15, it's different. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So verse 14 is talking about the place of your fathers. Verse 15 uses this strange phrase, the land from which they had gone out. Notice that that's not their homeland. It's not the place of their fathers. For Abraham and Sarah, it should have been the very same place. But by faith, it's not. By faith, they're not looking back to Ur. 
by faith, they're looking to God's promised place that he has for them, the promised land. The place they came out is not their actual homeland. The homeland is a place that God promised. The same is true for us who are in Christ. For us, the place we came from, that backwards-looking place, is so important. Spokane, Washington is so important in my life and my story. But even that is not home. As a people of faith, we view our past very differently. We may have fond memories of it. We may love the smell of tuna casserole, even though it's disgusting. But we look back by faith at our stories differently than we did before. I've experienced this very recently with my oldest son, Micah. Micah transitioned to a new school in our neighborhood because they built a new school. It's called Jolie Johnson Elementary. It's an amazing new facility. They've got all kinds of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics learning facilities that they built just for this school. It's this unique educational environment. But the first year that Micah was at Jolie Johnson was pretty miserable. The first year he was there, he was sad because he missed his friends Diego and Jimmy. And he was frustrated because his teacher wasn't Miss Kenyon, his previous teacher from the past year. And he got angry with us because he thought that we made a decision for him, even though we gave him an entire year's worth of discussion and allowed him to ultimately make the choice, where do you want to go to school, son? He was angry with us because he was looking the wrong direction. He kept thinking longingly back to Wells Branch Elementary rather than embracing the present reality that he was in at Jolie Johnson. His old school had a nostalgia, and one of the things that he forgot was that it was actually pretty tough for him. It was a hard place for him that frustrated him in his education, just like Jolie was. He had a hard time making friends, and though Diego and Jimmy were good friends, they'd only been great friends for about a year. And he was so focused on the nostalgia of the past that he forgot, in some sense, how to embrace the present reality. And this is just like us in our walk of faith. We miss the joys of obedience in the moment. We miss the joys of responding in repentance when Pete is leading us in prayer because we're thinking about some fondness of the past. We think about, in a sense, the past as if it's better than what God has given you right here, right now in this room. He's given you the people of God. What a gift that is for Inner West Church. There's no better church for you than this one right here. But so often, because of our temptations of the flesh, we look longingly at a past. Our past matters, but it doesn't define who we are. Our faith in Christ Jesus right now does. And more than that, we live in this world. We live in this world, and though it's important, it's not your home. Inner West is not your home. This place called Melbourne is not your home. This place called Australia is not your home ultimately and completely, though it's full of beautiful things and beautiful people and full of rich culture. It's not your home. The world tempts you to think it is. But the past and the present, they never fully satisfy those who walk by faith. C.S. Lewis said it best. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
The desires that spring up in us, whether it's love, companionship, good food, friendship, security, belonging, never will be fully satisfied here and now, even in this people, because by faith you were made for a different homeland. By faith you have a different longing for a future home that is painted for us in verse 16. But as it is, that's people full of faith, they desire a better country. There is an innate desire in you and I if we are in Christ and have faith for something beyond this world. We desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them uh, for them a city. This homeland, this this place of our fathers isn't here and now and it isn't in the past. It's coming one day. We are longing and waiting ultimately for the new heavens and the new earth. And so what I want to do is land the plane right here in Revelation and remind you of what your heavenly place, your heavenly people will look like. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 12. This is the future people that you belong to. Listen to this. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Stop just for a second. Did you hear what the Bible just painted the picture of? That's who you're going to be a part of one day. Every tribe and tongue and nation. I look at this congregation and it is beautifully diverse, but did you know that it pales in comparison to the diversity and the joy that we are going to experience one day when we are in the new heavens and new earth? It's a beautiful people that we get to be a part of and this is just a shadow of what God has promised. It is a people that we belong to, but not just a people, it's actually a place. Check this out in Revelation 21. God has a really clear description of what home actually looks like. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold. So the city of heaven is measured out with a rod of gold. Like if your ruler is made of gold, how much greater do you think the city is going to be if what you use to measure it is made of gold? Listen to this. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 10,000 stadia. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds big. Its length and width and height are equal. It's a square and a cube. It's amazing. Um, He measured its wall. It's 144 cubits by human measurement, which, again, don't know what that is. We should look it up. But that's also an angel's measurement. I didn't know that angels actually had measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. 
And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I was a chemist before I became a pastor. I'm not even sure what some of those things are, but man, what a beautiful picture of what the heavenly place is going to look like. There is going to be a people, there are going to be angels, there are going to be beings with us, and there's also this beautiful, majestic place that God has made for us to enjoy. This world can never satisfy you because by faith, we have a longing for this place. By faith, we have a longing to be a part of a people that are far more diverse. And we have a longing to be in a place that is far more beautiful and transcendent than we can possibly imagine. But even more important than that is the person who will be there. Even more important than how beautiful it is and the people that we're a part of, we are going to be with God himself. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Why do we have unfulfilled longings by faith right now? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. But one day, one day very, very soon, we by faith will be with God. And that is what it means to be a person who lives by faith. Why do we endure as exiles in this place? Why are we so strange and different? It's because one day, one day we believe because of Christ's shed blood and his resurrection that he's going to come back and take us to be home with him. That's what it means to be a person of faith. But what does it mean right now? How would this apply in your missional communities? I'm going to give you three quick things and then I'm done. First, by faith, we accept that we are exiles and sojourners and choose to live differently than the world around us. Your missional community is going to commit to loving one another in Christ. That is a very different kind of love than the world offers even though you may have nothing in common with each other, you're going to choose by faith to say we're different and we're going to love and serve one another. By faith, you're going to speak out against injustice in Melbourne. By faith, you're going to live differently and not be silent about the things that are wrong in your city. By faith, you're going to make sacrifices to go seek those who are far off. By faith, your missional communities are going to look like a strange community because that's what the people of God do. That's why you do it. Second, as people of faith in missional communities, we're going to cease longing for what was. I have seen so many communities, so many churches derailed because they always look backward to something that was. They look backward to a church that they were a part of in the past and says, man, if Inner West were just like that, That'd be the church of my dreams. They look back to a university ministry and say, man, if life were just like that, this would be the people that I would commit to and go all in on. They look backwards rather than looking forwards. And so as people of faith in missional communities, you're going to embrace 
that these are God's people here and now for you. You're going to embrace the fact that though you may not know each other in this room, you're going to actually embrace them as God's gracious gift to you. That's what it means to live by faith in this present moment. You don't look back. You say, right now, these are the people that God has for me. And finally, by faith, you're going to choose to believe that this world is not your home. You're going to choose to believe that you're going to live in light of eternity as the people of God, not just as great residents of Melbourne. You're going to choose to believe that God's great work is not done until every nation has turned, until every tribe has bowed, until every people is singing praises to the Lord our God in their own tongues. You're going to be relentlessly looking forward and saying, how do we share the good news with my neighbor? How do we share the good news with my city? And how do we share the good news with those who have not heard? Matthew 24 says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. If you want to be with Jesus, if you want to experience his people, if you want to dwell in that city, there's one thing uniquely that missional communities, the people of God do, they go and they tell the world. That's what we do because we believe that one day he's going to come back and we have a task to accomplish until that point. So by faith, the people of God go out from their lands to share the good news. So Inner West Church, my word for you today is that God would give you the faith to endure to the end, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom for all the days of your life, every day of your life. Let's pray together. God, this good news is good news for us, that Jesus came, that he died, and that he rose again. And by responding in repentance and faith, God, we are changed. And so I pray that would be more true of Inner West Church today. I pray that you would give them a repentant heart, God, that that understands their new identity as exiles and strangers. God, that embraces this present moment, not as their home, but reminds them that they, God, are by faith longing for something better. And I pray specifically that Inner West Church would live this moment in light of the heavenly reality. God, that one day you will return to bring us back to you. Father, would you make them a people who are salt and light in Kensington and Inner West? Would you make them a people who are different and distinct here in Melbourne? And God, would you call them out and would you send them to go and tell the world that Jesus is Lord? I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.